Welcome all you mutants, Krakoans, and resurrected clones of Laura Kinney. It's time for another Weird Dose of X, your X-Men podcast, a proud member of our beloved Weird Science family of podcasts. Yes, this is milestone episode number 30. Hope everyone is enjoying the embossed die-cut holographic cover. I'm, I'm sure the price increase is more than worth it. Uh, I'm Jason, and speaking to me from inside a lucite slab is my 8.5 grade buddy, Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? Hey, doing great. Doing great. And 8.5, by the way, means, quote, an attractive collectible with a moderate defect or a number of small defects. And I think I think you got me beat right there, For you know, honestly. It doesn't matter. It's really a question of vintage, right? So I'm just an 80s vintage. I think you. I think you're probably more valuable in the sense of of you know scarcity you think, with you think age, right? Bronze age. I'm more silver age. Is what you're getting at? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, value sometimes increases with age. Sometimes not so much. My staples may not be in original condition, and my pages are yellowy. Oh, that's depressing. Let's move on. Okay, so. Today, we're going to be talking about three brand new books uh, from whatever we're going to call this age. And those books are Wolverine number 29, X-Men number 18, and Legion of X number 9. <clears throat> we do have one news item today. There's going to be a brand new Storm solo series. Well, I say new, but it's one of those new old things. It's another one of those series where Marvel gets one of their, let's say, classic creators, maybe Bronze Age themselves, to write some new stories set in an old time period. So. Not really out of continuity, but not exactly in current continuity either. Some of these have been really good, right? Michelini on Venom, Peter David, especially at New Fantastic Four and the Maestro. This time, it's going to be Anne Nascenti revisiting Storm's punk era for a five-issue mini with art by Sid Codian, who was also the artist on that recent Chris Claremont Gambit series, which also featured even younger Storm. It doesn't seem like this story will have a direct effect on current Krakoan continuity, so... Don't expect us to talk about it on this podcast, but I know there's some folks out there who are not so crazy about what our Merry Mutants are up to these days, so Marvel's giving you some alternatives. Storm number one coming out this May. Uh, Ruben, does that seem like it's up your alley? I'm not the, I'm not the biggest Storm fan. I think she's cool, but um, these sort of callback issues have let me down in recent time, and I am the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm happy with Krakoa and what's going on today, so I'll say in the present. Oh, you're a, you're a modern modern era man. I can see. Yep. Okay. Yep. On to this week's books. Up first is Wolverine number twenty nine, the Beast Agenda: Colon the Mind Garden, written by Ben Percy, art by Juan Jose Reap, colors by Frank Darmada, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, last issue, uh, we had an intentionally stunted Wolverine been set free by Krakoa. This was a Wolverine who was brought back from resurrection but like wasn't allowed to get all the way back mentally. <clears throat> Logan then saved slash scared a group of mutant kids, after which Krakoa pulled him down into the pit and started torturing him with visions of Sabretooth. Uh, and now, well, 17 pages of this issue right here, I, I counted 17 of them, are devoted to either Logan struggling physically with vines and plant stuff in the pit, or struggling mentally with visions the pit is feeding him. 17 pages of really story not progressing. I mean, the pages, they look fine. I'm not blaming uh, you know artist Juan Jose Reap for this, but I think we could have gotten away with maybe five pages of this stuff. It really feels like Percy is stretching here. This was an extreme filler issue. We do learn a couple things in these pages. Uh, thing number one, 
all of this torture is somehow waking up those parts of Wolverine's brain that didn't originally get to develop. I don't really know how that works scientifically, but by the end of this issue, I think we're supposed to assume that Logan is back to being regular, just as smart as ever Logan, which, you know, we're not talking Charles Xavier smart, but a little smarter than he had been last time out. And also, he knows that it was Beast who has done this thing to him. So that's something. Yeah. The second thing we learn, uh, suggested in those pages and confirmed by a data page, is that the time Sabretooth spent here in the pit tainted the pit. Yes, Victor Creed smeared his taint all over this bit of Krakoa, infecting it with something called a Sabretooth virus. I think that's just a metaphor, but that's what they call it. And Creed's hatred for Logan is why the pit has been torturing him with these visions. So we were wondering... You know, why is the pit being so mean to Logan? Is it trying to rescue him? Is it trying to punish yeah. him? What's up? And it turns out it's all Sabretooth's fault. Just an echo of Sabretooth. Which I'm not sure who now knows that Sabretooth isn't physically there anymore, right? So uh, X-Force and some other folks, Charles Xavier, know that there's this taint of Sabretooth, that's what the book calls it, uh, hanging around in the pit. I don't know if they know that he's not actually there anymore. And they probably want to leave that vague because no one wants to deal with it except for that, uh, that Sabretooth book itself. Uh, I had thought that maybe there was going to be a tie into Legion of X where we have Warlock who's tied into the island. He's kind of going haywire. And I thought maybe this situation had to do with that, but nope, seems entirely separate. Uh, we do have a second data page from Beast who just lets us know that, yeah, he's aware of this effect Sabretooth had on the pit. Don't know if he knows Sabretooth's not there anymore, but he considers this to be less of a bug than a feature. He thinks that, hey, if we're putting people in the pit, you know, they should have bad things happen to them. Again, we're not supposed to like Beast these days. Uh, the third thing we learn from this whole sequence is that by the end of it, that Sabretooth bit of Krakoa has manifested as like a separate humanoid form. And Logan defeats it by using that collar Beast had used to control him. Um, okay, for some reason, putting this collar on that humanoid form makes that Sabretooth Krakoa hybrid kind of sizzle, smoke, and keel over. So I think we're supposed to assume that by the end of this chapter, the, the taint has been cleansed. Yes. So like we find out about it and it goes away all in the same kind of sequence. So don't worry about it anymore. Is, is that what we're supposed to think, Ruben? Yes, this is yeah a big filler issue. They create a villain that's not interesting and then defeat the villain in the same issue. That That is what happened. Uh, yeah, I, I do wonder, is there just like some particular issue number or date that Ben Percy knows he has to, you know, tread water for his anniversary coming up? This beast thing, we say it so often, the beast thing has to come to a head sometime soon because it's been teased and teased and teased and it's just going nowhere. Okay, that's enough about those 16 pages. We do have three more pages of something actually different. The remaining three pages reintroduce Jeff Bannister's now healthy-appearing daughter. Remember her? She had some sort of horrible cancer, and Logan helped her get the magic Rokoan meds that seemed to be doing well for her, as far as we can tell, so good for her. Now, we, we don't know a name for her. I don't think a name has been given for her. I haven't found one. No one on the internet seems to know her name. <laughs> She's been in five issues now, all written by Ben Percy, so I'm not quite sure why he's not Telling us what her darn name is. I, would, I can't imagine this is going to be some giant reveal. Just tell us she's Susie or Betsy or whatever. Just I, I want to call her something besides Jeff Bannister's daughter. Yes. So she's here, and she has this Deadpool finger that Logan gave to her back in issue number 26. 
And I guess that security hole hasn't hasn't been patched because that lets her go right through the gate and wind up on Krakoa. Yep. Somebody get that on Sage and Black Tom's to-do list because, no, she doesn't mean any harm, but you know, so many bad things have happened by people coming through the gates when they shouldn't. I, it's unimaginable that this hasn't been intended to yet. Now, this girl is looking for help, presumably related to whatever happened to her dad following that ill-advised raid on the auction house that he and Logan you know, did and, and got caught by Legacy House of the Merchant. And by sheer plot contrivance, this young lady runs into that same group of young viewers that Logan ran into last issue. They bring her to Sage. Sage brings, brings her to that bit of ground that Logan now bursts up through like whoever that uh, horror movie villain was who sticks his hand up through the grave. It's very much a tribute to that. No one on Slack could tell me what movie that was from. Guys, you, you, you failed me, gentlemen. I'm sorry that you did. I thought I could count on you. I'm, you know, everyone listening to this podcast knows, oh, yeah, that was Friday the Halloween number 17. I don't know which one it was. <laughs> it was one of them. Anyway, that happens. So Logan's back up. The girl, name unknown, says to Logan, you saved me once, and now I need you to save my dad from the bad man. The blue man. Ooh, cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Now, who should be talking about? Well, it could be a few <laughs> possibilities, right? It could be the Blue Man Group. They're pretty sinister. It could the new be brother to- of the Purple Man. It could be Tobias Funke from Arrested <laughs> Development, who famously oh, blew yes. himself. Uh, nice but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure she means Beast. So again, oh, it feels like maybe, maybe we're actually getting to the climax of this Beast agenda. Yes, but I'm not placing any bets on it. Yeah. So, what do you think of this uh, baby dude section, Jeff Bannister's? Lovely young daughter. I don't have any feelings for her. She's kind of boring to me, and Jeff is kind of boring to me. Uh, granted, I d- did not keep up with Wolverine during the early issues when they were introduced. Maybe I would have more compassion. I'm glad she doesn't have cancer, but um, the whole the whole Wolverine story to me is kind of dull. So, not interested. I flipped through the pages, and I'm happy to get past this. Yeah, again, I, we, we want to go to the place this is going, but we, we want to get there. Soon, please, Mr. Percy. We'd, we'd like to see where this, this trip ends up. Uh, so, art-wise, I think Juan Jose Reap does what he can. He makes that disgusting nightmare scene look disgusting and nightmarish, so, you know, good for him. There are, like, multiple pages in a row where Logan is just repeatedly tangled in vines, and all those panels look kind of the same to me. But I don't think that repetitiveness is the artist's fault. I think he's not really given a whole lot to do here. I... I would really curious what this script looks like. If it says specifically, you know, Vine comes in from the left, Vine comes in from the right, or just just draw and tangle in some Extremely cool vines. detailed, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and what what you what anyone thinks of this issue is going to really depend on how much they enjoy the art and whether you think we need yet another trip through Logan's psyche. Uh, yeah, he he feels guilty, folks. He's a violent yes. guy. He's good at being violent, but he kind of feels bad about all that violence. That's that's Logan. We we've seen this before. Over and over again, we get it. We It's yes. fine, we just didn't need it. I think that's my biggest gripe on this, is it's very reductionist with Wolverine, and I tend to complain that he has one story that people just repeat over and over. And this is even worse, because it's like, all he is is pain and driven by pain, so give him back the pain and he'll regain his identity. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> According to Ben Percy, this is the, the extent of his character, right? It just kind of gestures at all those things you know about Wolverine. Yep, yep, those are, those are still here. And it doesn't doesn't deepen our understanding, doesn't give us any new angle on them. It just takes up 16 pages. 17 pages, excuse me, I miscounted. I don't think that's even counted spread pages as two. So 
It's a lot of freaking pages. So as usual with this beast agenda stuff, we want to know where it's going. We want to get there. Tired of driving around in circles, going nowhere. So score-wise, I got to go 5.8 on this issue. I'm, I'm going to go FU5. I, Ooh, I, just, I don't care at this point. I, I, on the X-Force side, I started caring a little bit more, right? Like last week, I think I was pretty positive. I was like, okay, maybe Ben Percy's kind of coming around. There's a story here that's of interest. This has got me worried again. I'm thinking maybe not. Hopefully X-Force is better than this because there's nothing here with Wolverine. We we hope so. We're, we're looking to see Beast get what he has coming to him. And soon, please. Soon, please, Mr. Percy. We will we'll buy your issues. We'll pay you money for your issues. We just want to see the end. Please give us an end. Yeah. Okay, moving on to what I think is a somewhat better issue, X-Men number 18, Wounded Wolves. Written by Jerry Duggan, art by C.F. Villa, colors by Matt Miller, letters by Clayton Cowles Killer, designed by Tom Miller with Jay Billa. Something like that. And this is Sink and Laura meet the X-Terminators. Oh, yeah. boy. Yes, the crossover that everyone, question mark, was asking for. Uh, I'm not really following the X-Terminator so much. It's a miniseries that hasn't even finished up yet. I think this crossover takes place after that book ends. But I'm I'm not really certain, so I'm not don't know if this is like part of the middle of that story. If this is like a postlude to that story, doesn't really matter. So we needed to have old woman Laura and young mistakenly resurrected Laura get together and have a heart to heart chat. And I guess it might as well happen while the two of them kill some vampires, right? It's better than having yes. them go to lunch and and eat a bunch of truffle fries or you know some sort of cronut or something. Let them let them yes. kill. Folks. Um, here's my hot take. These are the more interesting Wolverines than the one in the book titled Wolverine. Ooh. Uh, at least for right now, for sure. Yes. For, for 2023, we've certainly got more interest out of these two Wolverines than we have out of Logan. Yeah. And I'm not calling these my favorite characters, you know, in the world. Not even close. But it, they saved me, you know, 17 pages of, oh, I, woe is me. Life sucks. Everything's painful. Even, even aside from that, seeing Wolverines kill vampires is so much more interesting than seeing Wolverines tangle in vines. <laughs> Just flat out, right? <laughs> true, true that. Uh, yeah, so these two Wolverines, you know, they get along pretty well. Uh, uh, new Laura, young Laura, is trying to act like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of figured you were still around. And, you know, whether she's just pretending, trying to look cool, whether she really knew, doesn't really matter. Uh, old Laura notices that young Laura now has a full adamantium skeleton, which is a thing that Jerry Duggan, I'm not sure if this was a mistake that he then retconned or if this was his idea all the time, but in issue number 10, he has Proteus kind of, you know, bring the full adamantium skeleton back. The, the old woman Laura, the usual Laura, only has the adamantium claws and not the skeleton, but Proteus brings her back with the full skeleton. Again, maybe a mistake that got fixed, maybe a real, you know, on purpose, who knows? Uh, yeah, they don't want they they get along fine. They're not going to hang out. They're not going to be besties. I mean, that would be even more confusing if we had them both on panel all the time. They kind of acknowledge an interesting thing that this two Laura's situation is probably temporary, right? If one of them dies, the Quiet yeah, Council is not going to say, "Well, we need to bring back the other other Wolverine." We already have another other Wolverine. Wolverine, so yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. I mean, this is more back to the, the clone thing, right? At mm -hmm. some point, they're very distinct persons, you'd think, in my mind. But this is a little closer to the question, right? Since they are both the source, Laura. Yes. 
but this is Madeline Jean all over again in a way. It, indeed it is. Yeah. Now, this is only touched on very briefly, and I, I wish they had gotten into this a, a little more depth because this should be a really big deal for everyone on Krakoa, right? It should raise all these philosophical questions about life and death and resurrection and, you know, when we come back, is that really us? I mean, you were going to have a big problem for Darwin, right? They bring back the younger version and not the not the (laughs) one that's in love with him. Like, yeah, he seems much happier now that he's got you know his Laura back to kind of use a reductive term, but you know what I mean. Uh, So yeah, I don't think it's bothering him at all. I think he thinks cool. Yeah, the the one who likes me is back. That's good. The one who I had all these you know adventures and trials and tribulations with. That's that's great. Even if she does, the the old woman Laura looks especially in that first panel where they're flying in. I was sure he was flying in with Rogue. <laughs> she has that white streak in her hair. I'm like, oh, yeah. why, why is uh, why is he why is he hanging He's out moved with Rogue? Quickly. <laughs> like, huh. Yeah, even the look on her face is kind of kind of sassy. Like it would be Rogue. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but I figured out pretty quickly. Oh no, that's that, that's Laura. That makes sense. Uh, there was a, a weird little bit in here that confused me briefly, where the older Laura ends up with this pink glowy helmet situation. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what that is, but. If I look, when I look back on the issue, she did have that back in those original vault adventures. Not at the beginning, but by the end. So presumably she either built it or found it somewhere in the vault. And I guess she brought it out with her when Forge rescued her. I, I don't really like it that much, but it is what it is. It's kind of bizarre. It looks very me. psionic, right? It's that pink yeah. shade that they use for, you know, when Gene or Kid Omega is doing something all, you know, mental hoodoo. Yeah, I guess the interesting bit for me is she she is a tough cookie character, right? Like she's got this tough edge, even mm-hmm. the whole like we're not going to be friends thing. You know, she's kind of just a gruff person. It's, it's interesting that she'd have this like neon pink like <laughs> helmet also be out of place. But also she's very practical. And if, you know, she found this thing and it works, whatever it does, if it's just I don't know if it's yeah. just protective or has other advantages, but you know, she yeah. would use it if it worked. Certainly helps you distinguish the two when you see them. On a page, right? And that's probably so the that real is purpose very of helpful. this. That's a good point. Okay, we do have some other stuff going on this issue. We have most of the rest of the X-Men team, that being Scott, Gene, Firestar, who I'm not going to call Firestorm. I promise I won't do it this time. <laughs> She's Firestar and Iceman. And they are operating out there in space. This is a, a pretty, you know, they wanted to show the rest of the team do something, I think. So yeah. we see some uh, Orcus bozos and Red Aim spacesuits who messed up and got themselves vented out into space from the new space station. The X-Men rescue them and bring them back, and it's a classic, you know, they hate us, but we're going to save them anyway because we're X-Men, and that's what X-Men do. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Strangely, the most controversial pages of this issue, there's kind of a war going on Twitter right now about people saying that's, you know, the classic X-Men are back, and other people saying, like, this is so foolish. Like, why would they do this, right? Like, I haven't we'll be seen this. that. There's something else coming up I thought would be more controversial, but we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, there's a lot of people griping about this, <laughs> which I thought was, I just kind of read it and I was like, yeah, it's whatever. It is what it is, right? I, I felt like it, this was the quota of, like, we have to include these characters in the issue and doing something. We want to see they're still around doing stuff. We didn't want a whole issue just of, you know, Wolverines having a heart to heart. So that, I was good. Yeah. We do find out about this new space station called the Bloom. Uh, we do see that uh, Beast in a, another data page suggests growing a clone of an operative without an X gene to use to infiltrate the Bloom. Yeah. I'm guessing that means they're like mutant sensing, you know, 
anti-mutant defenses there that a clone might evade. And yeah. naturally, engineering a living, thinking, sentient being just to you know invade a space station isn't such a great thing, right? It's something that Orcus might do, or the man yes. with the peacock tattoo especially might do. So once again, I'm thinking this beast fella might not be entirely on the up and up. That's another hot take. Just got to get Forge, <laughs> Forge to do it. He doesn't seem to have a problem oh. <laughs> growing sentient things and then just killing them. Yeah, it, I, that's a, <laughs> it's a nice connection. That is very much what he did. <laughs> now, separately, uh, in this issue, Beast also questions whether this Laura who came back from the vault might not be entirely on the up and up herself. Yeah, right? either yeah. she might not be Laura or she might be herself, but with some sort of a extra something implanted by the children, mm -hmm. which is a, a perfectly reasonable question to ask. I think that's the smartest thing Beast has said in a long time. And I actually thought is a plot element, not something I immediately personally thought of, but I was like, ooh, that's actually really good. And I kind of hope that that is the play, that, that you know, some sort of sleeper code or something like that on her mind, or like, she's a sleeper agent. Run with that? I don't think it's going to happen here, though, because Beast says it, and anything Beast says is bad these days. It would be make it more complicated to have him actually, you know, come up with something that's real to protect the island. Now, Jean says that she's checked Laura out and she's perfectly okay. And then, and then Jean gives Beast the harshest criticism we've ever seen him get in these issues, right? Seems out of proportion. Secret concentration camps in space, taking over entire South American countries. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Slap on the wrist, whatever. But questioning whether old woman Laura might have a little, you know, hitchhiker from the children of the vault. Yeah, that's beyond the pale. Anyway, speaking of things that may or may not be beyond the pale, we have a quick Corsair ep epilogue. Now, Corsair, of course, is Christopher Summers, uh, father of various and sundry uh, Summers brothers. Uh, he's off in the far reaches of space with his star jammers, and he's composing like this letter or communication to his sons. And he says, this kind of confused me because, you know, the Summers brothers always confuse me. He says he's addressing it to his, quote, dear sons. The ones I know about and the ones I never did. So if you got these ones and those ones, that's at least four. I don't really know who those are supposed to be. Are there, are, are, does he just think that maybe he's been, you know, spreading his seed across the galaxy? Yes. Who knows yes. how many little yes. summer's bastards that might be around? Yeah, probably. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to think about the summer's family tree anymore. Anyway, this is intended as a final message to all his many offspring. Uh, we don't know exactly what's happened, but the ship Corsair is on seems to have been the site of a nasty battle. Got corpses, blood of, of various colors, uh, and Corsair says that he's downed his last round, and he's saving it for himself. Ooh, dark. On that shocking final page cliffhanger, we get our one and only panel actually showing Corsair here. And uh, Ruben, why don't you tell us about this last page? It's gross. Uh, basically, he's been infected by the brood, and so he's got a gestating brood in his stomach and in the background i guess in the rafters or the rest of the brood on the ship which i'd say is interesting because we thought the brood were subjugated with brew kind of being the brood king and controlling them now apparently not yeah so this is odd timing for this panel what with the whole pregnant joker stuff that popped up like last week and it is the same kind of look is this how brood infection is usually depicted yes. like carrying low in the abdomen just like yes. the pregnant woman it is yes they're basically the aliens. Like, 100% no-nonsense, exactly the same as the aliens, but for some reason they evade IP infringement claims. <laughs> and the brood in the background, I mean, clearly it's got to be the brood, but uh, yes. did you ever read Jeff Smith's Bone series? Kind of a young no, adult, famous, all ages yeah. book? Yep. 
And he has some creatures there called, he just calls them rat creatures. These stupid, stupid rat creatures. And they look exactly like what's going on in the background of the same. Like you should look those up. It's a great series. I'm, I'm sure it's the brood, but just tickle that part of the brain. They might say, hey, Jeff Smith. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen or heard much about the brood since that King Egg story that Jonathan Hickman told. And that's the one where Brew ate the King Egg in an odd bit of quasi-comedy. And that put him in charge of everything. And we don't know what's gone wrong with that, but clearly something has gone wrong with that. And have you looked ahead at all in this series? Ah, coming up, it says next, Lord of the Brood, part one. And in fact, this is going to be a crossover arc, crossing over with Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel series, of all things. Yeah, that's have you, been, have you been keeping up with Captain Marvel? No, no. But I did like the I did like the story with the weird cat thing. With the what thing? Her pet cat that's really a... Ah, yeah, there's called. some weird name for that. That's the one that I like, Large in the or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it shows up a lot. Okay. So, yeah, so X-Men issues 19 through 21 are going to be Lord of the Brood, parts 1, 2, and 3. Captain Marvel numbers 46 through 48 are going to be Revenge of the Brood, parts 1, 2, and 3. And I think these are more or less separate storylines for those parts, but they're then going to converge in Captain Marvel number 49 to, you know, wrap this up and take us to where we're going next. So that's going to have, like, connecting covers and all that situation. So... I don't know exactly how much of that we're going to cover. It probably depends on, I'm, I'm sure I'll read at least the first issue of that Captain Marvel tie-in and, and we'll see if it really seems to be important for us. Yeah. Quality of the issue. I, I'm okay with that. I'm interested, um, enough in this. I'll probably check them both, both out. Uh, okay. Art wise, to keep up with my New Year's resolution, uh, CF Delay here has a, a different style from Joshua Kassara, who did that previous art. It's a little bit simpler, has some of those heavier black outlines. Fewer lines, fewer shading, less shading, especially in the faces. Expressions a little more exaggerated, cartoony. It's it's good. It just looks kind of, it just looks a little different. And as yeah. always, I wish we had more consistency in art teams and modern comic books. I would love to have, you know, an unbroken one of, run of like 25 issues of, you know, here's the artist on this book, just to give it an identity. Yeah. And if anything, this X-Men book is struggling with finding an identity, right? It's Why it did they do that? Is it just the artists get tired and they need breaks or? I think part of it is that, that, you know, in, in the old days, you know, uh, you know, they could turn out, you know, turn out these books, you know, you know, pages and pages a day. And, and now it's just, I think there's so much more detail that just takes a lot more time and effort Interesting. to actually do that. I, I understand why it's not done, I guess, but I, I, I wish it was different. I'd say there are some very cool sh pages in this issue, even though it's, exaggerated cartoony mm -hmm. really oh, resonates yeah. with me like the pages of the wolverines fighting the vampires in particular i if would every issue of the, this book looked like this i'd be yeah. perfectly fine with that yeah actually it's not exactly a two-page spread but i could totally take that page of the two wolverines like slicing up the vampire and you know blow that up and take out the dialogue and make that a picture that i put somewhere the motion is is in particular impressive to me like i can flip through that fight scene and just see and imagine these characters jumping around in this free-flowing combat, which is Excellent pretty point. <clears throat> it's really dynamic. Some comic art these days, uh, Jim mentioned some of this on the recent DC podcast, I think talking about Lazarus Planet, where some of the art looks, if you look at one panel, it looks gorgeous, but if you try to follow the story panel to panel, page to page, it, it feels more like a slideshow. Yeah. And and this really does convey that sense of action and, and you know, kineticness if that's even a word really well the one thing is funny though just a quick aside she doesn't have the 
the pig Pfizer. <laughs> now that I flip through that, I'm like, why? Where did it go? <laughs> it does come and go. Yeah. Um, uh, anyways, it looks cooler right. without it, so I'm fine with that. But I don't exactly understand why it's there sometimes and not there other times. Yeah. So overall. Uh, what do we think? Are we excited to see the brood again? Is this Marvel dusting off another old storyline that they hope people will, you know, remember and want to buy again? Again, I yeah. think going off to play with Captain Marvel, it, I like the idea that the X-Men are existing in the wider Marvel universe. That's nice. Mm-hmm. But this book feels very much on the fringes of the Krakoan era, right? Yeah. Usually you say, oh, if somebody wants to know what's going on with the X-Men, oh, read. Oh, here's the one story you should buy by X-Men. And then if you like that, you can get into other stuff. But that's that's not the advice you would give these days because, you know, you'd say probably, you know, read Immortal, read Red, even read Legion. And yes. then if you like those, you know, X-Men you is could, doing something else. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of strange. I don't hate these issues, but to your point, I think they might be a little held back by the, the Hellfire Gala recycling of the team. Good point. They, they have like a year basically of like here's some new smattering of characters we got to quickly try to tell some stories with them and then just when you start to care about some of the characters they like put them away and get new ones this book needs a reason to exist and the reason it has seems to be well you need to have an x-men book so here you go yeah and yeah it needs more than that it's it's not a bad story it's not a bad book it's just it doesn't feel at all important it feels very very skippable which the book called X-Men should not be. Yeah, I'd say one one thought on this is, and maybe this is what's going on with Ben Percy as well, if Sins of Sinister is big, it feels like everything's kind of on hold until that happens and we get past it. Because this, this very much was like, well, we can't really introduce a new major storyline here because um, maybe that's coming right. Like if they went all in on dealing with the Children of the Vault, this could be a big issue or a big series, right? Like this is where this is happening, but I feel like they feel like they have to still you know deal the sinister stuff and then maybe go back to orcas before they get to children i mean they're teasing them right they've had a few children's stories but it doesn't seem like they've got them as like the main adversary perhaps i feel that's being very very generous to this book and giving them all the possible benefit <laughs> of the doubt but let's hope so Let, let's hope there's something big planned going forward yeah now speaking of books that seem like they matter more than x-men we're on to Legion of X number nine, A Voice in the Wilderness, written yes. by Cy Spurrier, pencils by Nathan Diaz, <clears throat> inks by Sean Parsons and Alvaro Lopez, colors by Havata Taglia, letters by Clayton Cowell, design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. I think I said Jay Bowen last time, or actually I probably said Jay Billa. I, I'm trying to get these names better. My my younger daughter is taking Spanish, so she's helping me out with things like Natho and Hava. And I'm, I'm doing my best here, folks. I hope I'm getting them right. Somebody in Slack corrected me that I said Rob Liefeld's name wrong last time. So, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to get them right. Uh, the cover here, we don't need to talk about the covers, but this cover is pretty cool. It's uh, uh, by Ben Harvey. It is Nightcrawler, even more monstered out than he is in the interior. Uh, he has these giant horns, these big old claws, and a, a long, evil-looking tail followed by a group of other monsters, presumably representing other mutants who got all monstered up. And in the background, we see these paired profile images of Legion and Professor X. And yes. I, I think it looks really cool. If we were doing covers of the week, this would certainly be my my cover of this week. I was very surprised that this is the book where they pick up the Orcus conflict story. I, I, was, I would not have predicted that the next appearance of Nimrod was going to be in Legion of X. 
especially issue number nine, right? Like yeah. the, the this has been an interesting slash weird series, but mm-hmm. I've I've enjoyed it, but I felt like this is very fringe, right? And suddenly it feels like it's it's right into the core Krakow era storyline, which was a big surprise. It has been it has been tied in more than X Men. We see you know Nightcrawler on the Quiet Council who refers to things going on in here. We did see Nimrod foreshadowed a few issues ago, right? We saw that when they were in the altar, uh, we saw that something had attached itself to Warlock, and there was like this shape around him in the shape of Nimrod. Remember that yeah. one? Yeah. So it's not completely out of nowhere, but it is. I think it's it's tied in in a, an impressive, you know, effective way. So I enjoy that. We start off with a prologue that's a data page, just letting us know that mutant stuff, weird mutant stuff, like weirder mutant stuff, is happening all over the world, probably mm-hmm. more than usual. Uh, it also notes that Husk and Chamber are still following that transformed angel in Los Angeles. We, we don't see or hear from them again this issue. Maybe they'll come back next time. And on the next page that's actually drawn comics, we just see a few more mutants that have been monstered up and started wreaking havoc. And these are actually all existing minor characters from the history of X-Men. So yeah. first we get Paris Gavaskar, uh, codename Indra. You familiar with uh, Mr. Gavaskar? I have actually, or I am familiar with him. Uh, not, I don't have like a long history with this character, but the second of the Children of the Vault storylines features Indra pretty oh, extensively. That's right. I think I have seen him. Yeah. So he was created in 2004 for new X Men number seven, and he has that retractable exoskeleton. Yes, I do remember him from the Children of the Vault. And in this issue, that exoskeleton looks much meaner and pointier. And he has an extra pair of arms I don't remember seeing before. The, the thing about him, and I think the reason you don't see him that frequently, is he's a uh, Janite, which, you know, like, is a do no harm to any, right, that, anything. Right, that's not an alien race, that is an <laughs> earthly religion. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty hard to write a, you know, punch him up comic with a character that refuses to engage in conflict. Good point, and uh, whatever happened to him, he seems to have put that vow aside for the moment because he's beating some people up pretty badly. They say he's visiting his family in uh, in India, so that's where that's going on. The next page is Glowworm, and Glowworm always looked pretty gross, uh, so gross that he was kicked out of the Morlocks. Yikes. He's like a Morlock among Morlocks, like a Morlock squared. This is one I don't know much about, but I, I was reading the wiki and laughed that he got kicked out and then decided to live in some sewage. <laughs> yeah, lived in a radioactive dump in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he, well, the, one of the reasons you don't know much about him is because this is the second issue Glowworm has ever appeared in. He's okay. only been one issue before. The original X-Factor run, uh, issue number seven in the great year of 1986. Uh, he, he died heroically in that issue. Um, so presumably he was resurrected on Krakoa and in this panel, we find out he was actually at his own bachelor party when he got all monstered up. So, I mean, he was having a, a, a run of good luck until, unfortunately, this, this spell landed on him. And finally, we have Irina Clayton, is known as Choir. Oh, yeah. She has these extra mouths on her neck. She's always had three extra mouths on her neck, but they were like normal mouths, like as normal as extra mouths on a neck can be, I suppose. Yes. She's a Grant Morrison character having first appeared in 2001 in the original New X-Men series, number 119. Yep. She was one of those many mutants who lost her powers in M-Day, and as far as I can tell, hasn't appeared on panel since until now. And Cy Spear seems to have a thing for a lot of these sort of mutants with pseudo-worthless powers, which, oh, I, yeah. which I also quite enjoy. So not, not shocking that he brought this character back. He has a thing for obscure 
obscure mutants. Like, uh, yes. I think yes. Chris would joke about running like a random number gener- generator on the fandom wiki yeah. and whatever pops up, that's who Sizeberry was going to use. And I, I don't mind it. We give some, some texture here, some flavor. Instead of just saying, yeah, we have some mutants going crazy, it shows us some actual existing in, in Marvel history mutants going crazy. That's fine. The next strand of our story takes place in Bavaria, Germany. Uh, our crew here is Nightcrawler, Pixie, Black Knight, that's the Jackie Chopra version, and Dr. Nemesis. And we pick them up right where we left off last issue, having tracked that transformation spell back to its source, that source turning out to be Kurt's own adoptive mother, Margali Zardos. Uh, she's the one who looks like she just fell out of a saga issue. <laughs> and in, in this issue, Kurt repeatedly calls her, I'm going to say, Mutti, yeah. which is a German word for mommy. Uh, Niels can tell us in Slack if I'm saying it anywhere close to correctly. Yeah. It's like a really, it's like what a, a kid would, would say to his actual mother. So a very baby talk, childish, familiar kind of a thing, which makes sense. Yeah. And now Margali is playing at being this weak, frail old woman, but she's just faking. We find out that her magic comes from something called Quote, the winding way, which is a philosophy of magic, in which practitioners have their power wax and wane over time. We get yes. this data page, talk about them like, like if you're walking up a mountain, but you're walking around and around the mountains, you go up in like a spiral. And sometimes you're in the sunlight, sometimes you're in the darkness. It's, it's very Dr. Strangey and yes. it's fine. Uh, the idea is now that, yeah, right now she's really, really strong. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with this. I thought it was kind of cool. It's like you could agree to get more power than your average sorcerer, but the flip side to that is sometimes you're weaker. Yeah, it, it, it's fine. Again, it adds a little bit of texture. I don't want this to be a big thing in the book. I don't think it will be. I no. think we'll deal with her character pretty quickly and move on. It it, it adds a nice little, little wrinkle, something to think about. And then it talks about how you know, having your personality or your power level sway so much also kind of impacts your mental state, which would, ex- you know, in theory explain why she is kind of manic and being willing to throw in with Nimrod for a payday. Yes, because right then, as soon as uh, Pixie, in fact, is the one who determines that Margali is super powerful right now, Margali casts that transformation spell again, just on our local group of heroes. And Pixie moves to block that spell with a soul dagger, but Apparently, since it's just a soul dagger and not a full-sized soul sword, she can't quite block all of it. Uh, and a little bit of it falls on Dr. Nemesis. And since his mutation is enhanced intelligence, uh, his the spell makes his brain grow dramatically. And I mean dramatically. He looks like one of those disgusting Wojak memes where the person is like sitting in an easy chair made out of their own brain. Have you seen that one? Mm-mm. Oh, you're not on the internet enough. Anyway, it just looks like that. It's pretty gross. Uh, he immediately starts to come up with ways to defeat Margali, so it seems like maybe it backfired, but she stops him, and what clever way does Margali come up with to stop a <laughs> super intelligent Dr. Nemesis? Yeah, I didn't like this. <laughs> Basically, just asks him to compute pi. She asks him to calculate pi to the final digit. Yeah. And, I don't know if you're a Trekkie, but I think that the uh, size must be because this comes straight out of a Star Trek episode called, I wrote this down, Wolf in the Fold. It was written by Robert Block, who happens to be the same guy who wrote the novel Psycho. Mm. Kind of cool. And, and there's, there's this computer that goes crazy and Spock says, you know, compute pi to the last digit. 
and that keeps the computer busy. Exactly yeah. the same thing. Oh, well. I just would have thought he'd be smart enough to know that there is no end to it, right? You'd think so. You'd think so. But maybe, maybe he has to do it to prove that he can do it. I don't know. He is so egotistical, you think he might be... And it is kind of neat. In a later panel, you do see him reciting some digits. Yeah. And I, I looked it up because that's the kind of nerd I am. And he says, I think it's, I wrote it down, 4370277, blah, blah, blah. And those are digits that occur at like 554 decimal points after the decimal place. So it actually is a reasonable place for how long he's been saying numbers. I kind of appreciated that attention to detail. Instead of just putting in random digits, Sizeberry actually found a section of a pie in approximately the right location, and cut and pasted it. Uh, uh, no points for that. At this point, the Black Knight jumps in to attack Margali, but like uh, instinct, parental protection of interest drives Kurt to defend his mother, even though he kind of doesn't want to. I, this this is, I think, that monstrous nature kind of jumping. And we've seen him kind of yeah. act out of character yeah. in moments like this in recent issues. So I don't think it's Kurt going all, oh, bad guy. It's just instinct inserting itself. Correct. And this fight is cut short because the people who hired Margali to do this, it wasn't her idea, they show up with tranquilizer darts. And like you mentioned earlier, this is Orcus. So Orcus is in this book too, and they're ultimately behind all this weird transformative magic stuff. That's kind of neat. Anything else to say about the, the Germany section of our story? Okay, good. We've got two more sections to go through. Again, I'm re or reordering these things just to make it easier to talk about. Uh, we have a section that takes place inside Legion's mind in the altar. Last time out, we saw Ruth, Legion's girlfriend, also called Blindfold, visit Professor X's dreams and basically scolded him and told him to be a better dad, right? So in this issue, it looks like Xavier's trying to be a better dad. He drops by the altar to visit his son. He's going to go for a tour and see all these great things. As soon as he walks in, though, he he zaps Legion on the shoulder with something? What did you make of this? Unclear what he was doing, but obviously he did something. Yeah, we see a little sound effect. We don't see any immediate effect, but stuff goes on like a few pages later. So they go on a tour. Uh, Xavier even takes his cerebral helmet off, which doesn't happen a lot these days. Yeah, uh, We see some real, it seems like real emotion on Xavier's face. He, yeah. he thinks that this place that his son built is amazing and beyond anything he could have expected. He thought that this was going to be a trap, but no, it's it's a real thing. He feels some shame for thinking that his son would attack him. He seems to feel some shame, yeah. but he doesn't undo whatever the hell he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how much credit we can really give to him. This is a real Professor X is a jerk moment. Yes. Uh, yeah. At a little while in, the Legion just starts to kind of grow weak and feeble, kind of shrink. He keels over, nearly passes out. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but this happened to be the same moment that the Technarchy chooses to attack Krakoa, first attacking those most in contact with the astral plane. So people sleeping, people daydreaming, people doing art. Gee, wouldn't it be nice if, I don't know, Legion were available to defend against this horrible thing? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Professor X kind of took him off the, off the board. But yeah. Mother Righteous pops in and says, hey, remember that deal I offered to you? Umpty three issues ago? Yeah. Still on the table. And that's where we leave him. So what did you think of this section? It, it, interesting. I like the the Legion-Charles kind of dynamic, and uh, I think it's pretty well done here. I, I do question what the hell Charles did, because 
I've always felt like the whole thing with him and David is that David's stronger, like that Charles couldn't just use his mental hoodoo to shut him down. Yeah, you'd, you'd think so, especially in, you know, David's own, in D&D, we'd call it like his place of power, right? He's inside yes. the altar. This is where he should be most aware of everything. Yeah. But maybe seeing his dad, you could say he's let his defenses drop. He was so happy to see him. But he is actually trying to bridge the gap between them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, w I am curious to see exactly what Professor X did to him and whether Legion's going to take this deal. Yeah. He's going to have to, I would imagine. It sure looks like it because we're in a, a bad situation. Uh, so to jump back in time for a few minutes and go on to Krakoa itself at the Narthex. Remember, the Narthex is the name we just learned for Kurt's own little house there. Pretty big tower house there. It's hookup pad. Yes, uh, is his booty call location. Yes, is his <laughs> Playboy Mansion yes. in the middle of a island-sized Playboy Mansion. Yes, uh, our characters here are Lost, Juggernaut, and Zabi. That's forget me not. In, in case you went forgot about him, and they've been trying to break into Kurt's pad. Uh, Doug is there too, but he's in bad shape since his cell friend Warlock has been infected by something, and their connection has him kind of. I don't know, migrating. Uh, Banshee, who has been bonded with the spirit of variance, he has a thing he can do, it turns out. He doesn't have a pen and stare. No, no, that's way too 1980s spirit of vengeance. He does a, quote, scream of change, which is the most size spurrier thing ever. Uh, and this scream of change does something kind of vague, which again is a pretty size spurrier thing to do. Yes. Uh, the narration tells us that a bond is breaking. I guess that's the bond with Warlock, I guess, to free Doug from this now painful connection. Yes. But if that bond is broken, that seems a pretty big deal. Although maybe at the end of this, they'll just, boom, we're bonded again. No harm, <laughs> no foul. That's what I'm expecting. But that's it seems like, well. I don't know Doug very well, but he's attached to Warlock as like one of the like top four things I know about him. Yeah. So I, it's got to come back. Now, this scream of change also allows Banshee to probe Kurt's memories because that's convenient. Mm -hmm. And he sees that it was indeed Nimrod who entered Warlock's mind back when Warlock was in the altar. We saw that represented on panel in issue seven as the shadow connected to Warlock as he exited the altar was kind of in the shape of Nimrod. So it was foreshadowed. It's also kind of weird though. Yeah, it's very weird. I, I just don't get how they connected up together. They're both sort of machine people right so maybe true yeah but I, I don't know when they might have intersected with each other you know that nimrod well we were told that nimrod off panel killed warlock's dad correct so he has experience with these warlockian technarchian kind of yeah. creatures so he's and we saw those spores floating through the astral plane so maybe those were nimrod spores I I think if we had seen one land on Warlock, that would have been shown more. I didn't I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah. Anyway, that seems to be what's going on. Uh, at this point, uh, the Narthex turns into a Babel Spire, which is again a bit out of you know the X Men wiki. It's a, a beacon used to summon the attention of the Technarchy. The yes. idea is that if a a species has risen to the point where it wants to be uplifted and join the Technarchy. Remember all those other weird diagrams back from Hickman days about technarchies? Uh, you build one of these Babel Spires, and it says, basically, come and get us. We're ready to join up. Yep. Uh, and Doug is kind of confused, and, and, and so am I. Uh, <laughs> Zabi, who is forget-me-not, remember him, he tries to explain it to us. Zabi was able to get inside the Narthex because that portal that was darting away from all the other mutants stayed still for him. Yes. 
I'm not sure why this happened, because he's forgettable, not invisible. He's not undetectable, but we'll go with it. Fine, we'll go with it. Zabi's inside the narthex, and he says that Nimrod built this Babel Spire to summon the Technarchy as a distraction, I guess so that he can finish taking over Krakoa through Warlock. This seems a dangerous game to play, right? Won't the Technarchy be a powerful enemy for Orcus as well? Correct. Yeah, I don't know if they know that, but it, I guess if it's Nimrod, if we recall, like Nimrod is not, even though he's kind of part of Orcus, we've seen before that he and um, uh, Moira X and who's who's that other character? Oh, the, let's call her Omega Sentinel. I Omega her Sentinel. Name. Yeah, yeah, they basically are are sort of secretly in cahoots to like screw over the human side of Orcus. I think that's the best way to look at it is that yes, he's with Orcus, but he is much he'll be much more buddy buddy with the Technarchy than Orcus would be. So even yes. if even if the Technarchy shows up and doesn't want to leave and kills off most of the rest of Orcus. Yes. He erases all the biological matter. He doesn't care. He's fine with that. So it's 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 the uh that Although the rest of, of Orcus, the machines that we saw foreshadowed back in Powers of X, you know, correct. moving forward. Yep. And even though the rest of Orcus I don't think realizes that he is of that persuasion i think they think he's like their leader right that he's buddy, buddy yeah it's, with them. it's very kind of abigail brandish right that he's with them but he has his own motivations that are contrary to theirs okay now on this last page uh we see for the first time inside the narthex oh by the way juggernaut and lost can hear this warning from zabi but they don't pay attention to him because they lost their little don't forget him doohickey technology and yeah. so they don't know who he is. He's just some random guy who shouldn't be on the comm, so they ignore him. Yes. But we see now inside the narthex. I think this is the first time we've seen inside the narthex. It must be. Yep. And it seems that Zabi is either possibly dead or at least really, really wounded. Yep. And I don't know if the narthex is like a TARDIS and that it's bigger <laughs> on the inside. Big. Yeah, it My must goodness, be. <laughs> because we see one huge open room. Yes, uh, in this room, besides, besides Zabi on the floor, we see this. This large tree form manifesting a Nimrod warp version of Krakoa's face, right? We see that tree holding a very relatively small looking warlock kind of tangled and trapped in those tree branches. And we see at least six, what seem to be not giant sized, but pretty darn bigger than human sized sentinels. Ooh, this seems like bad news. We've got sentinels. We've got the technarchy. We've got Nimrod. It's, it's, Bad, bad situation. And the coming attraction page promises in issue number 10, Among Us Stalk the Sentinels. A very classic X-Men warning. Now, uh, well, well, first of all, what did, what did you think of this this ending, this issue, this whole segment here? It's a good cliffhanger. The page certainly looks cool. I don't know where the Sentinels came from. Maybe he's creating them. Like he's a Krakoa mother mold in a way which is kind of an interesting Ooh, idea. That's a very interesting idea because these Sentinels do have tangly Krakoa vines around them. Yeah. They're not fighting with them like Logan is in 17 pages in his issue, but maybe <laughs> these are, yeah, I like that idea that if Nimrod has merged with Warlock, who's merged with Krakoa, now Nimrod can create biological Krakoan Sentinels. Yeah. I, I think you're correct. I hadn't yeah. thought about that, but I think that is, is dead on. Yeah, and that's pretty scary. That's pretty cool too. I do question the how from get me not got in there thing, like you say. But at the same time, you know, even people that are seen if they're if they're not a focus can kind of slip in, right? And there was stuff going on on the outside. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm not gonna you know 
be too harsh on that. It just seems a little, little really, would that work? Okay, we'll, we'll buy it and, and move on. But it, it wasn't that, oh, yeah, sure, causes power. That means it. Yeah, it wasn't like an aha moment. It was like an okay kind of moment. My biggest take on this is this seems like a really huge development. And yet, yeah. like, is this really a huge book? I, I don't know. It is to me, but I, you know, even just trolling the internet, I did not see a lot of people talking about it. And I was like, that's, that's kind of too bad, right? Because this almost feels like the biggest thing that happened in the X-Men books uh, this week. Oh, it and certainly is the biggest thing this week, yeah. I, I don't know. It would be nice to see this reflected in the X-Men, other X-Men books, but yeah. again, do we really want another crossover event all about this? Probably not. So, If nothing else, I would like to have seen some people freaking out, but... Yeah, Anyways. this is a, the most interesting book this week, the biggest cliffhanger, the, the biggest production, the biggest risk. So, yeah, more folks should be reading Legion of X, even though we had some fun making fun of some of Cy Spurrier's little Cy Spurrierisms. Yep. Uh, now, schedule-wise, I'm a little confused because I thought that Legion of X was going to go on hold for a few issues for the whole Sins of Sinister thing. Yeah. I thought it was going to be replaced by a title just called Nightcrawlers, plural. Yes. But... At least according to Marvel.com and Previews World, they both say that a book called Legion of X number 10 is coming out February 1st. Oh, interesting. They're which is try after to wrap this up. Sins of Sinister starts. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is, okay, no, actually, that's the last one for a while, or if they're continuing parallel. I'm not sure, but... My guess is at they, least they feel time. like they have to conclude this story and then jump into the next one which is good i i do i would like to see a conclusion of this before we do head off the sins of sinister so that would be that would be nice especially if that is going to change a lot of things kind of coming out of it which i suspect it will i i do hope so i hope that it's a bigger deal in the x-men world than things like judgment day were yeah uh okay so yeah this has been a pretty good book yeah quality wise i i'm i'm around a probably an eight this was a book I was happy with. I, I don't think I gave a score for X-Men. That was probably like a seven. It was adequate, but, but nothing to write home about. Okay. I do need to keep up with my uh, New Year's resolution and talk about uh, Nathan Diaz's work here. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's grown on me. Originally, I wasn't too thrilled with some of the alter stuff. Uh, the facial expressions here are expressive in a way that isn't really, it's not what I would call a classic American comic book look, which I think is what was rubbing me the wrong way at first. Yeah, uh, but I, I think it works here, especially for that emotional section between Charles Xavier and Legion, uh, where he knows he's done something awful, but he also is praising his son at the same time, even though he's completely terrified of what his son might do. I thought that came across really well. Uh, and also that mutated Dr. Nemesis page is effectively very disgusting. Uh, and I, I just know that when our old buddy Chris sees that page, he's going to have to go off and gag for a few minutes. <laughs> because he hates Dr. Nemesis to begin with. Oh, yeah. And, and this is just going to drive him over the edge. Yeah, so, go. So, so, Chris, good luck. Take some uh, serum of Ipecac before you read this issue. You'll be all right. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is the next X book of the week. And I, too, give it a solid 8 out of 10. I, I'll say just I love the art. I have loved the art since he got on the book. And I continue to love the art. It's I'm not coming around to your way of thinking. It's not as fluid. But, man, there is just a lot of detail. That's one thing that really impresses me. We talk Very about true. like our backgrounds lush, you know, or is it just white backgrounds? Every panel is like pretty cool looking in my mind. Mm -hmm. And some of them are just exceptional. Very much agreed. Okay. So uh, to wrap things up, I do have recommended reading this week uh, with a new brood storyline heading our way. 
I think it might be fun to revisit the original Brood Saga, which was a 1982 storyline written by Chris Claremont and that runs through issues 161 through 167 of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, Carol Danvers also plays a big part in that original story. She's, she's not Captain Marvel yet, of course. Uh, when issue 161 begins, she's Ms. Marvel. And by the time 167 ends, she's binary. So it's a big series for uh, Carol Danvers as well. So that's the original Brood Saga. It is available on Marvel Unlimited, Uncanny X-Men, the original, number 161 through 167, back in 1982 when Marvel let series numbers get that hot. That's interesting. I didn't know those two characters had a deep and sordid history, or I guess character sets. So it sounds yeah, like one well, worth checking uh, out. tied in with cosmic Shi'ar, you know, Marvel kind Where of stuff. That, so yeah. it's, it, I can see where – I'm not familiar with the story myself. I think I'm going to read that this week as, too. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, so next week, we move ever closer to Sins of Sinister, but we're still not there quite yet. Uh, next week, we have Immortal X-Men number 10, which I guess we'll see what happens after Sinister's time loop bloodbath. And that's it. That's the only book coming out next week that we cover on this program. I'm, I'm sure we'll find plenty to talk about. Uh, so thank you, Ruben, for being with us again today for your insights on things. Thank you in advance to Jim for editing out those times where I forgot to push the cough button. Sorry about that. And uh, anything to add, Ruben? Read X-Men books. Okay, yeah, go read some X-Men comics, and hey, we'll see you all next time. Ready. Implement. Computer, this is a Class A compulsory directive. Compute to the last digit the value of pi. Oh. No! As we know, the value of pi is a transcendental figure without resolution. The computer banks will work on this problem with the exclusion of all else until we order it to stop. Now, I think you'll keep that thing busy for a while.